Podcast. I'm Dave. I'm Rob. I'm Richard. I'm Tom. This week we have ventured into ancient Rome to do Rome Antics. No other title for this episode because Romantics is a good little title. It's a pun in itself. It is. As distinct from the new Romantics. <laughs> oh! First broadcast on the 7th of April 1975, a Monday at 9pm. Now gentlemen, I went into this one not expecting a great deal and I actually enjoyed quite a lot of it. And a lot of it was very new to me. It's one I haven't watched again for at least 20 years. And and I got a lot out of it, particularly the first half. What did others think? Rob? I agree with you. There's more to it in the first half. Some of it is reasonably enjoyable. But I think overall, especially the last half, which is flat as a tack, is not up to much. Richard? Yes, I didn't have particularly strong memories of this one either. It certainly was one the ABC screened. Originally, the version they show was very heavily edited. Later on, I think they showed the complete one, but I, I don't have strong memories of it. I was entertained by it. I don't think it's anything special, though. Tom? It's not the best of the best episodes. It was fun. I do like the first part. I think there's some very clever jokes in there, and certainly some of the historical stuff they had with it, uh, other than the stuff that they get completely wrong. Um, <laughs> which is most of it. Which is but... most of it. But there was... No, there was some stuff going for it, and I agree with Rob. The first half is stronger than the second half. Okay, well, once again, we will get into it. It opens with some lovely black and white footage of ancient Roman movies, which, you know, very nicely sets the tone. It has some very clever stuff in the intro. The Roman Empire, which stretched halfway across the civilised world, and England. Well, it was Pantheon News, wasn't it, instead of Pathé News? Yes, that's That's right. right, yes. And, you know, they have a whole lot of good stuff there. They crossed the sign there that has, you know, the directions to Londinium and Crickerwald. <laughs> <laughs> and then we meet the Roman-aged goodies, complete with um, their little stone hut, Graham in his stick glasses, which is quite clever. But they're all dressed in animal skins. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that, that's a bit strange. But that's yeah, I was okay. going to say, that's more caveman, I think, than, <laughs> than, than ancient Britain, but... Uh, Look, this segment here, I actually think is really, really quite funny because they do a whole lot of contemporary jokes, but, you know, with a Roman context. So they talk about how they've been engrossed into the Roman Empire and, you know, Bill does all these lines, you know, ever since we became part of Europe and all that sort of thing, which, of course, was a very big deal in 1975. And uh, recording this in 2017 takes on an even better context. It does. Bill was the original Brexiteer. it, It does. Look, and to make, I guess, a serious point out of this, as somebody who's grown up on British comedy, whether it's stuff like this, Yes Minister, Yes Prime Minister, The New Statesman, British comedy's been making such an absolute fun of the EU and pillaring Europe and the EU for so long, I was only amazed that the Brexit vote was so close. Because <laughs> they've all grown up just hating this thing in their sitcoms, but nevertheless... They also get some good stuff in there. You know, what, what, what has Britain ever achieved without Rome? Oh, we made Stonehenge. Yes, and it still doesn't fly. Oh, it brings in the tourists. <laughs> yes, and the last lot of tourists came in and conquered us. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think there's actually some really good stuff in there. What did you guys think? I, I thought that was probably the strongest sequence of the episode because I, I have to be honest and say some of the later stuff is actually a bit disturbing, some of it, but... 
But yeah, I, I thought that was quite a, a strong sequence. They have the Roman woad. They then get the message from the emperor, and, and again, <laughs> Graham gets some of, um, some good lines in there. You know, Does anybody here speak Latin? Oh, I probably do. Yes. <laughs> Just before that, I did like the bit where the Roman comes in to give them the job immediately before that. Tim starts off with his speech, and you actually see Bill go. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Start doing the land of hope and glory. Yeah, um, on, the, on the serpent trumpet or whatever. Yeah, yeah, whatever it is. And then, of course, you know, Tim gets up and starts making the speech. And I will say to the next Roman who walks through that door, Oh, how are you, sir? Can I lick your boots? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's interesting that we're so associated with land of hope and glory with Tim's speech is that the lack of a recording actually makes his speech have less oomph. Mm. Than yes. Normally would, yeah. Bill farting in the background with a little serpentine trump- trumpet doesn't doesn't work. No, I, I just like the bit though where he's sitting there and he goes, "Oh, all right then," <laughs> and starts to blow it <laughs> to provide the music. Uh, yes, Graham's literal translation of the Latin is, is also very funny. <laughs> yes. You know, where he's, he's mixing up the tenses, all the all the possible. That, that's actually quite a, a clever joke and one that I suspect would have worked better for a generation that grew up still learning Latin in, in school probably doesn't work quite as well today. But some really good stuff in there and the uptake of it all is that they've been asked to travel to Rome to do a job for the Emperor. They then get to do the whole travelling to Rome sketch which is I guess their first film sequence. It starts off with their attempts at a wooden trandom. <laughs> <laughs> and of course the slapstick. Yeah all the slapstick. The idea that they're just going to take one straight road to Rome you know regardless of where it goes over dips, puddles, down a cliff Yep. Um, which is of course something that makes its way into the opening credits yes they open the map all roads lead to Rome and of course yes. then you do the joke where they all converge on each other I, yes. I was just going to say in that tandem sequence if you're looking carefully Tim is mouthing something almost like instructions uh, <laughs> whether you know how to get onto the bike I'm not quite sure but he's definitely mouthing something but what it is I don't know maybe trying to get the timing right or something yeah, possible yeah because that, that's quite an interesting sequence yes mm. They arrive in Rome, and look, the sets there actually aren't too bad. I think if there's, there's one thing the BBC of the mid-70s can do okay, it's ancient Roman sets. Mm. Um, you know, all you need to do is put a few marble bust or polystyrene, probably. But you know. I wonder if they nicked the I. Claudius set or something. I don't think so. I don't, didn't recognise it as the I. Claudius set, but maybe a few of the little props and the like would have come out of there. Well, well given how high the Venus de Milo head bounces when it hits the ground. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely not uh, marble. So. <laughs> And it was interesting, oh no, we're getting ahead. That was actually a really interesting subversion of the joke because you see the first yes. coat break the first arm off and you think, oh, okay, yeah. I know it's going to happen. Then off comes the head. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that was very clever. The Emperor is, of course, played by Roy Kinnear. Yes, who, of course, is, is back after his appearance in The Lost, Lost Tribe. Lost Tribe, yes. Uh, so if you wanted a bit more background on Roy Kinnear, uh, go and check out our episode about The Lost Tribe. But, yeah, a staple of British comedy particularly yeah. at this point. And, look, I think he's having a lot of fun in this one. He is. He's certainly having a lot of trouble getting off that bed of fruit. But <laughs> <laughs> That bed of fruit, I think anyone would have trouble getting off. But, yes, that, that is visually quite strange. And, look, he's then you know, playing up to that whole concept of sort of the um, sexually ambiguous, sexually insatiable Roman Empire. Yeah, I think actually the more disturbing sequence is a bit where he's talking to them and then the girl like puts the cream on his chest, <laughs> lays the jelly on it and then start licking. I just yeah. Uh, yeah, look, there's the bit where they arrive and he's all oh, the goodies are here, oh goody goody yum yum. <laughs> oh you tea spells, get out. Because <laughs> <laughs> he wants pillow to himself. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, look, it's it's clearly a play on that. It's sort of you know that that particular that Emperor Nero type mm. of thing that was in in popular culture at the time. Or Caligula, I suppose, as well. Yeah, he was a bit, bit yeah. fat for Caligula. I, well, I, I took him more probably Tiberius. Yeah, well, how many how many emperors do you? Really yes, want? but they're all a bit mad and all a bit ambiguous. So. Yeah. Yes, and and indeed the orgy, of course, is a staple if you're doing the Roman trope. So yes. What was that movie that came a couple of years later? Caligula. Uh, it was Caligula, was it? <laughs> yeah. Yes, there with you go. Malcolm McDowell. So, the emperors hired the goodies because he wants to be loved, and he hasn't given them entertainment. He's just given them fruit. Now. I'm not sure where the whole fruit thing came from or what they're trying to go for. Does anybody have any ideas? Not me. Maybe it was a sort of a safe fetish, perhaps? Yeah, maybe. Because it, it's obviously the whole thing, he's, he's a fruit fetishist. Yeah, because there's so um, many unsafe fetishes. That's well, well, there is. <laughs> and maybe that was a sort of a, a vaguely family-friendly mm. or acceptable fetish for him to have, perhaps? Yeah, I guess so. Except for probably leading into the carrot and the cucumber a bit later on. Yes. Which, again, I think if he didn't know what he was saying, it wouldn't necessarily... Like, you wouldn't get it. I think you need to you need to know be in on the joke to get the joke in those senses. Mm. Well, I think it's more the case. More so than the fruit, I think that was, those two pieces of fruit were used for the reactionary yes. of talking to the crowd. Yeah, and it did so. become a bit more explicit in there. Uh, so the goodies are given the job of going to create some entertainment. So they start off with a goodies version of a... Um, Seen in the Colosseum, <laughs> I have to admit the sheep really made me laugh. It did, it did. I agree. Well, the sheep, the sheep was the best part of that. I mean, there's some interesting stuff there where they come out and they do the little dance routine at the start. Yes, they do the xylophone trick on the Roman leather skirt. And you know, this this, however, sort of doesn't work. They all get pelted with fruit, as you said, Tom. The emperor makes a few uh, innuendos. Innuendos. Oh, I was going to say, it's not a double entendre. It's almost just an entendre, really. <laughs> yeah. <A> single entendre. <laughs> yeah. I can't count that high. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with, with the cucumber and the carrot uh, which leads Tim going who would want this job and Tim says I would and the Emperor says it's a deal basically, well, basically and, and that's the massive bit that was cut out from probably in the original Australian runs mm. all of us you're literally going from effectively the first bit with the carrot you miss the whole cucumber bit being a revisit of the original joke to him saying, no, oh, bugger this for a game of soldiers, I'm going to give it up, who wants this job? And Tim, because all of a sudden Tim's in the bath. Yes. So, uh, hail Caesar. Don't need to know the weather report today, thank you. Yes. yes. So that include they cut the Parthenon news bit out as well, did they? No, that, that was but, around as well, but I think that happened just... I was going to say, I, I suppose, another bit I, I think you would have trouble doing it now where he introduces, this is a handmaiden, this is a foot maiden. And, and this one comes in quite handy at times as well. well yes, <laughs> I, I had a note of that as well. I, I guess the point we can make here as well is that, once again, and we've said this a few times over the last few weeks, the moment where suddenly Tim becomes the Emperor for really no apparent reason is another case of an episode just twisting entirely in a dime mm. and, and going in a completely different direction. And again, as I say, whether that's because one goodie wrote the first half and said, right, take it over, and they've gone, oh, I've got some ideas for Tim being emperor, I'll go in that direction. Mm. Or, mm. or just between you know, Bill and Graham, they've gone, oh, well, what do we do here? I know, make Tim the emperor. Mm. But, but you can see, again, the whole episode sort of twisting and going in a very different direction. It's a good way of making the goodies the centre of attention in the episode. I mean, Roy Kinnear is shuffled off to the side and then yes. sort of, they, they maintain it. The, the, the good thing here, though, is that once Tim does become the emperor, you then get a really good opportunity for them to just, just quickly mine all of those Roman jokes. You know, the Hail Caesar joke, mm. the Venus de Milo joke, which, as you said, Richard, they do do, but subvert very cleverly. 
So sort of all those things you're expecting from any sitcom with a Roman bent are put together in that sequence, and I think it's just, just the right amount of them. Mm. Yeah, well, after Bill comes in, of course, they do the jokes. Tim has had, or Emperor Tim, has had his director of entertainment, i.e. Graham, come up with a way to revitalise Rome and, and bring the Roman populace back on side, which has turned into a massive tourist trap. It's the fact they've built Pontinium and Butlinium as the <laughs> holiday camp. So that's, a, that's obviously a reference to Butlins and Pontins, which were the two big holiday camp operators in Britain. Yes. That time. There's that wonderful sequence of Graham explaining uh, Roman bingo, you know, parents number two. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite clever, that actually. Give all, us a kiss, all, number 10. Yes, all the ones, number three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's a really good sequence. And then leads into the whole tourist camp thing. Uh, after they do that, they obviously then do the travel brochure, yeah. which, which is clearly the, the Parthenon News, where, yes. of course, you see Rome and, and the people enjoying themselves and the emperor coming out for a swim, being carried in his litter chair out, <laughs> into, the, out, <laughs> out into the water. I think there is some uh, material in there you would have a lot of trouble doing now. The, the, the bit where they're concentrating on the lady's uh, breast and, and, and backside, and of course they make the joke, her husband's here for a bit of peace and quiet, she's really a peace, and I hope she keeps quiet. Yeah, that, that was a little, ooh, yeah, okay. It, it does, and it then sort of morphs and transitions into a creating the Olympic Games thing. Yes, well, they, they realise that when they've sent the brochures out, they've invited all the barbarian tribes, including the Vandals. Yes. Who, who strangely enough, are headed by Attila the Hun. <laughs> <laughs> The Vandals, the Goths, and the Visigoths. Yes. Led by Attila the Hun. Mm. We've sort of moved now from uh, Julio-Claudian Rome into the sack of Rome. Yes. yes. That's all right. I'll be going back for the great fire of Rome later. <laughs> yes. So the history's not quite working. But, but I suppose then again, if you've done Roman history at school, I mean, you probably know the broad beat. So, of course, as long as it's all there, yes. the average viewer's probably not going to be really too fussed about... And, and we'll hopefully ignore the fact that the Olympics were Greek, not Roman. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but that, that, that whole Olympic stuff isn't too bad. You know, you see the javelin, the discus... Uh, the shot put, the Olympic rings. Are done. Yep, there's the high jump, the the hurdles. Yep, the lighting torch. the torch. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And then burning the city down with the torch, so accidentally. Of course, during the whole sack of Rome, though, you've got this uncredited actor playing Attila the Hun. He he is a scary looking dude. Yeah, and his whole job is basically just to stand there and do reaction shots. It is, and I must admit that bit where he gets hit in the head with a melon, he does not flinch until that thing is right on top of him. <laughs> He's really quite clever. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, the discovery of the Olympic torch, however, does lead to the Great Fire of Rome. Yes. So, uh, in case of fire, break glass and get fiddled. Yeah, that, that, yes. was, that was quite a funny little visual gag, that thing. It, it, it is. <laughs> I guess we might mention that a fiddle was actually a reference to the Roman lion, not to a modern-day violin. But, yes. But it's, good, it's a good gag. Yes. Yeah, it's and again, gag. I mean, let's yeah. face it, everyone knows Nero fiddled while Rome burned. Yeah. So, we get all of that. And, of course, after Rome is burnt down, they then head off to Pompeii. Yes, yeah, so well, after they realise they've started the fire, they sort of scuttle very quickly away. <laughs> yes, which, which leads to, what's the sign? Danger of subsidence? Or yes, that's right, and then it ends with them falling into a hole. Yeah, so look, as you said, it is all those bits of primary school slash junior high school Roman history, or, or, or ancient world history. You've got the, the Claudian era Rome, you've got the sacking of Rome, you've got the Great Fire, you've got the founding of the Olympics, you've got Pompeii. It, it, it's all, as you said, those bits from, uh, you know, Boy's favourite book of mm. Roman all, all, history. All the stuff you'd half remember from school if you were an yeah. adult in the 70s. Yeah, yeah, e exactly. Other points you want to mention from the plot, gentlemen? No, not really. I just, I just want to say, when Graham falls into the bath, he goes head first. 
Yeah. Yes. yeah that's, I was watching that uh, yesterday and I was thinking, oh, OHS would be all over that because it's quite shallow. He's yeah. somehow contrives not to hurt himself. Yeah. Well, he does the same thing a few weeks ago. Yes, in, with, um, uh, in the black oh, pudding. Oh, he goes in the black pudding. But this yeah. one looked even more shallow. So Yeah, the, yeah. The, yeah. Uh, can and you watch? The others were in there as well. Mm. Yeah, and I was going to say, you watch Bill, because he actually, he's really trying very hard not to laugh when he winds up in the bath. Mm, mm. All right, we'll move on to our regular segments. So we will start with firsts and tropes. We get a variation on Land of Hope and Glory. We do. Um, we get a mention of Cricklewood. Yes. Yep. Got the Pantheon News of the yes. Cafe News. Yep. Uh, the Trandom appears. Bill, again, breaks the fourth wall by, you know, he's, he's grinning during the Trandom sequence, you can see that. At the back, uh, mention of Cricklewood uh, and another appearance of the Venus de Milo. Mm. I think we saw that. Uh, We've seen that a few times. Yeah. We have, yes. Okay, what couldn't they get away with today? Well, as <sighs> someone whose ethnicity is referenced in this episode, Greasy Dago's. Hong Kong Eye Thai food? Yeah, no good. No good, frankly. No good. <laughs> no. no. Very 70s, though. <laughs> and 80s, from his personal experience. Yeah. So, yeah. So much. There's the fruit sequences with well, Roy Kinnear. You see, this is the thing. Would you put those fruit sequences into a, you know, in Australian context, a 6pm sitcom? No, but the idea of debauched Romans is still very much a staple of television yeah. today. Yeah. It is. And I think the thing with the fruit, I, I suspect, as I said, it's a fairly safe fetish for him to have. Yes. He was starting to hump it. I would actually say of all the things in, in the goodies, some of that sort of stuff has actually become more mainstream and, and more acceptable, that sort of sexual deviant comedy. I mean, you, you, you might not put it out over you know dinner time, but... I think you'd certainly do most of it. I think you'd get away with it now. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I just thought because he's clearly getting off on the fact that he's surrounded by fruit well, and stuff. True. But and, and it's probably a lot safer than him, you know, having um, something more questionable to fa- to fantasise over. Well, what he wanted to do with Bill is something that you couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. It's acceptable. And, and, and I suppose then again, I mean, Bill does do the point that he liked girls a lot, very much. <laughs> and and as, as you've said, some of that news report and the way that the women are treated—that that is definitely. Yes. Not something you would do. No, you couldn't do that. And, and quite rightly. There was about the, there was, start of Graham's bit before he goes into Bingo and the Fairy Floss, he has the, the naughty postcards from Pompeii. Oh, that's right. Which was a, a, sort of like a, almost a chiselled yes. uh, <laughs> relief map of a naked lady. And then the, the Pantheon News. How's that, that for a nice pair? Of breasts. That's not even really subtle, ladies. No. no, it's not. And then there was the other one that we mentioned earlier. She's certainly a lovely piece. Season, I, I hope, hope she, she keeps, keeps quiet. quiet. Yeah. Yeah. Look, yeah. I guess if you're going to do a episode that is partly hung on the idea of a debauched Roman Empire, you're going to get some of those jokes. But yes, the way some of them were framed is uh, not appropriate, and certainly some of the cultural stuff. I don't. I don't even think the fifties and sixties newsreader, the Pathé News, that they take off. No. Ever went down that path no, oh, no, no. No. <laughs> of uh, yeah, sex comedies. No. All right, well, it's time for our favourite gags. Tom, what was yours? Mine is the bingo and fairy floss. So, gives a kiss, number 10, a pair of those, number five, all the ones, number three. And when you get them all on the card, you go, fairy floss, here, have a bingo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and again, a nice subversion of the gag you sort of see coming. Richard? Uh, I'm going to go for the sheep. Who doesn't love who doesn't love a sheep attack? <laughs> yep. 
Uh, oh, look, I really enjoyed the uh, Venus de Milo head falling off and bouncing quite high, but again, it's the it's the cheap one. The Tim literally throws himself into it and it shows. <laughs> well, I, I also had the sheep, but since two of you have already taken it, I'll, I'll do the whole um, opening sequence about um, ever since we became part of Europe and this whole Stonehenge joke, it still doesn't fly. I think, I think that's actually really two, 2,000 years it sat there and it still doesn't fly. <laughs> yeah, I actually think that's a really funny uh, opening. And I think that actually really did set me up to quite enjoy an episode because... I did walk into this one not really knowing what to expect, probably expecting something quite poor. And to start oh. off with this really strong first third, I mean, that even though, yes, the next two thirds were, were weaker, and I think the final third quite weak, mm. because I'd started on such a good note, I was in a good mood, I was enjoying it, it was exceeding expectations. And so for that reason, I, I actually did get a lot out of it. And I, I guess, you know, you, you three guys have all said it's one of the weaker ones in this area. If the worst you can say about the goodies in season five, is that Romantics is a weak episode. That's actually not a bad benchmark to have as their low point. No, true, because it is surrounded by, by quite good episodes. I mean, look, the last couple of weeks, I mean, we've had Scotty Safari, which we all enjoyed, and we've had um, we've had Ecky Thump, which some of us enjoyed. We've most had Lighthouse, which most of us enjoyed. Yeah. So, and I, and I think there are a couple of very strong episodes to come before we get to the end of the season. Oh, look, look, just just looking at the, the run up from here, I mean, South Africa, Bun Fight at the OK Tea Rooms, The End, Goodies Rule OK. Mm. You know, that, that, I think that's a really strong end of the season. Mm. If, if this is the low point of a really yeah. good season, well, you know, I think we'll all take that. Yeah, I mean, look, I've had fun sitting here discussing it with you blokes. As I said, I was a bit, I was a bit fifty-fifty watching it, but yeah. Fair enough. Well, as we've highlighted, next week we will be back with Fleet Street goodies or cunning stunts. And as you go down the street to collect your morning newspaper, you may find yourself taking a walk in the Black Forest. You've been listening to the Goodies Pirate Podcast, the Australian podcast that puts the good in goodies. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please do leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode or your thoughts on upcoming episodes. So please drop us a line by email at pirategoodiespc at gmail.com. Send us a tweet at at pirategoodiespc or find us on Facebook at facebook.com stroke pirategoodiespc. Goodies, goody, goody, yum, yum. I'm very depressed to see this country in the state it's in. Don't you start knocking Britain, mate. What about all our great British achievements? Like what? Yeah, name one. Yeah, go on. How about Stonehenge? <laughs> oh, God, blimey, how about Stonehenge? What a waste of money that was. 2,000 years it stood there. Still doesn't fly. <laughs> 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 <laughs>